Hello, welcome to episode 39 of 10 Zero. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. Yeah? Yeah. You don't sound very thrilled. Uh, I am, but I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm excited because one more episode and we hit 40. Yeah. Which means we're only 12 episodes away from a year, a year. of doing this. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. A year of doing this. I know. I don't know how I feel about that. I don't either. Like, I'm excited. But I'm kind of, like, indifferent. Because we just, we, we have fun doing it. I know. It's very strange. Yeah. So, anyway. We've been asking... <laughs> We've been asking about my foot for the past, you know, three episodes. How are things in Maria's world? People can't hear you shrug. I got nothing. (laughs) I work, I I sleep. I deal with my husband. You cuddle with a moose? I cuddle with a moose. And a wriggle. You can have the wriggle. Mm -mm. If I'm taking either of them, it's Bronco. God, no. (laughs) That one's mine. I only claim him when he's good. But he's my favorite. He's a shit. <laughs> so is Wrigley. Because she eats shit. She's so full oh. of shit. Okay. Beck started doing it. She will, like, if we leave the bathroom door open, if we're not paying attention, she will go into the bathroom where the litter box is mm. and eat the cat. Ew. So. Wrigley likes to. And if she's outside... She eats right after Klaus is done. Yep. Oh, God, it's disgusting. Rayleigh will either eat fresh Bronco poop or she will wait frozen Ew. and have a poopsicle. <laughs> <laughs> because she's disgust bug. <laughs> oh, my God. Gross. She is disgusting. She's no. all cute and all until she comes in and tries to lick you after she's been outside eating but, shit. Mm-mm. You're welcome. There was a reason that I stayed away from her <laughs> on New Year's Eve. Welcome to my life. Welcome. Well, she was also heavily drugged. Yeah, yeah she was. <laughs> I was really surprised Bronco was not. Five Benadryl for a 130-pound dog. Didn't even do shit. No. And if you even, like, remotely moved to get comfortable. Because I wasn't even standing up to look at him. All I did was stand up to adjust myself yeah. <laughs> so I could sit back down. And he, like, freaked out. Oh, my God. Are you coming for oh me? Oh, my God. She moved. Oh, my God. Turd. <laughs> oh, he's my favorite. Well, I have a doozy today, so. Well. Let's get into this. I'm going to go first. Yeah? Mine's kind of short. Well, let's start with our true crime fact of the day, I suppose. Yeah. February 25th of 1972 in Pearland, Texas. 12-year-old Allison Craven's body is discovered three months after she's reported missing from her apartment. She was found in a field in Pearland about 10 miles from her home. And her murder is part of the Texas Killing Fields murders and remains unsolved. That is on my list. Yeah, since I've taken a couple that are on your list. That's fine. I have the list for both of us. I know. That's why I offer topics to you. Anyway. So we're going to go overseas again. 
Hey, me we, too. We haven't done that in a while. Me too. <laughs> We're going to go Paris. Yeah? Somewhere underground. It is said to be the size of a five-story building in depth and over 11,000 square meters. Jesus. Do you have an idea? Catacombs? Yes. <laughs> We're going to the catacombs of Paris. Excellent. The history of the Paris catacombs starts in the late 18th century when major public health problems tied to the city's cemeteries led to the decision to transfer their contents to an underground site. So, what happened was... See, what happened was... Yeah. <laughs> Back then, <laughs> you have, you know, basically wooden boxes. Yeah. What do wooden boxes do when they're underground? and they're Deteriorate? Yes. Right. There's issues with the water. Mm-hmm. So, people were getting sick. Much like New Orleans. Yes. So, they decided that they were going to transfer the contents to the catacombs. Ew. I don't like how you said contents. I promise I'm not picking my nose. Can you not <laughs> not like something that I say? <laughs> what? So, I don't like how you said contents. Oh. <laughs> contents? What? <laughs> Weirdo. Continue. Paris authorities chose an easily accessible site that was located outside of the capital. At the time, the quarries that were under the plain of Montrouge. Okay. Um, these quarries were part of the labyrinth that extended underneath the city of Paris. Do you like what I did there? I left in labyrinth. It's my favorite. I still can't believe Gordon sat there and watched that movie with me. It's interesting. Like, didn't blink, didn't go back to bed, just sat there. Like, the TV. I'm like, and that's why I love this. <clears throat> the first excavations were made from 1785 to 1787. And were focused on the largest cemetery in Paris, the St. Innocent's Cemetery, which was closed in 1780 after being in use for nearly 10 centuries. That's a lot of bodies. Mm-hmm. All resting places were deprived of their bones before they were transported at night to their new resting places. So they did it at night so people wouldn't see it. They only moved the bones at night to try to avoid the hostile reactions from the pre-population, but most importantly, the church. The church didn't know. Yeah, I forgot the church ruled everything. Yes. The bones were dumped into two quarry wells and then distributed and piled into the galleries by the quarry workers. So not only were they moving the bones, they were just dumping, dumping. them into a hole. Also sounds like New Orleans. <laughs> Transfers continued after the French Revolution until 1814 and started again in 1840. The site was consecrated as the Paris Municipal Ossuary. Anemone, 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 anemone. 
I'm off where. Starting in 1809, the catacombs were opened to the public by appointment. In 1787, the Count of Artois, the future Charles X, visited the site in the company of a group of court ladies. Charles X? Yeah. Charles X? Yeah. (laughs) I'm fucking tired, okay? Charles X. I love you. <laughs> I quit. I'm done. Oh, shit. How many times do uh, you make me say, oh, shit, tonight? A lot. <laughs> a lot. Don't just wait till okay, you hear my story. Charles the Tenth. There you go. Charles X. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm not paying attention to how I wrote these notes. Clearly. <laughs> Had I put the the in between, it wouldn't have been an issue, but I just put Charles X. Because, you know, one of the rare occasions that I actually type everything out. Um, in 1814, Francis I. There you go. The Austrian emperor took a tour there. In 1860, Napoleon III descended into the catacombs with his son. During the 19th century, visiting arrangements constantly changed from closing to monthly or quarterly openings. The Paris catacombs are now open for everyone without requiring an authorization and welcome nearly 55, or dear Lord, 550,000 visitors yearly. I can't read, apparently. Seeing as you were about to say million, I would say you can't. France has always had a bit of a macabre tradition where it regards the burial of the dead. Mm-hmm. However, dating as far back as Roman times, it was the standard to bury the dead far away from city limits. Um, a procession of black-painted horse-drawn wagons decorated with human bones will carry the masses of dead from the city to the consecration grounds where for the first thousands of first thousand years, the bodies were simply stored in a disorganized manner. As the city grew and the cavernous tombs merged into the city limits, the processions ended and the level of disorganization increased. I would say so, since, you know, we're just tossing bones at a pit. Right. Paris's former city gate serves as the main entrance of the Paris catacombs through a narrow spiral stone stairwell. I... I'm not sure I was a tongue twister? Yeah. <laughs> the equivalent of six stories deep. Oh shit. Yeah. Beyond thirty feet, the stairwell is encased in complete darkness. And the only sound is the gurgling of a hidden aqueduct, which diverts local springs away from the catacombs. Which people actually swim in. I would not want to be drinking the water that I wouldn't want to swim in it. Well, that like, too. you could kick and 
a dislodged skull. Find a skull. Yeah, no, mm-mm. I think any other bone I would be okay with except a skull. No. I would be okay if it was a skull. Any other bone I'd be like, ah, no. Anyway. Touche. When you reach the bottom, there is a single ancient gate that reads, stop. Here lies the empire of death. Only it's in French, so it's more pretty. <laughs> so it's more pretty. The Paris Catacombs opened for tourism on June 19th of 2005 mm-hmm. and temporarily closed around 2009 to, or due to rampant vandalism and skeleton theft because, you know, I want to take something home with me that you, like, open a doorway for whoever was attached to that to follow me home. Or, you know, whoever it was to follow me yeah. home. Nope. Uh, okay. Since the catacombs opening, visitors have reported seeing orbs, voices, and strange shadows in the tunnels. I'm sure as hell you do. You stack up a bunch of bones, you can't not right. see anything. So, there isn't really much, like, ghost story-wise. So I'll tell you, like, what I did find. There's a story of Philbert. 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 Like the way that it's spelled is P H I L I B E R T. Philbert. Espert. Maybe the T is silent. I don't know. Um, who was a man living his life during the French Revolution? Okay. He was a doorman at the Val de Grace Hospital. And once on a duty to fetch a certain liquor from the cellar, he mistakenly entered the catacombs. Unfortunately, with the aid of single candlelight, he soon became very lost and confused. Many also believe he was a bit tipsy, leading to his misfortunes. Well. (laughs) His candle blew out, leading to his demise. His body was found 11 years later. Fucking 11 years later! When a group of cataphiles, people who study and regularly explore the catacombs, uncovered it, they identified him by the hospital key ring still hanging from his belt. Today, he is buried in the same, very same spot where he died with a tombstone describing his death. Many have testified to hearing and seeing his apparition on the anniversary of his death, November 3rd. Can you imagine being down there and, like, all of your batteries dying? You have no light. I can't imagine they're a straight shot. There's no oh, way. Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to go down there again. Christ. But this time, I want you to take nothing with you except for a walkie talkie. Nope. You can pay me enough. <laughs> you could not pay me enough. Oh, man. Absolutely I'm just not. Fuck uh, that. Another chilling episode occurred in the early 1990s where a group of Pedophiles was walking through its dark chambers. Mysteriously, they found a video camera on the ground. Upon inspecting it, they were surprised the camera had footage. While reviewing the film, they heard very disturbing voices. It appeared that the original man holding the video camera was lost with no idea of how to escape the tunnels. The video ended abruptly, 
with the camera dropping to the ground. To this day, no one knows who he was. And apparently it is noticed he is one of the desperate voices heard at night. The only difference is that he left. I, I had to have been exhausted writing this. His final destiny was captured on his own camera. Like he just disappeared in the fucking thing. Have you ever seen, um, fuck what's that movie? As Above, So Below? Mm -hmm. Fucking creepy. Yeah. I've actually, like, I, I was scrolling through Peacock, and they have that on there, mm -hmm. and that's what I was looking at when I picked it. <laughs> I'm like, hey! There you go. That'll work. That'll do. Another common and well-accepted legend that revolves around the voices that are heard after midnight in these spaces. Many people state that if you are inside the Paris catacombs after midnight, the walls begin to talk. I'm sure they do. They're made of bones. Disembodied voices will entice you to venture deeper into their spaces with the hopes that you will not be able to find your way out ever again. No. Like, like, that's when you bring 47 battery packs. <laughs> yeah. Until they all die. Pretty much. <laughs> well, that's all I got. That sounds like a whole lot of nope. Right? Don't get me wrong, I would like to go. But, um, I guess it doesn't matter if you go at night or right. during the day. Because, you know, underground. <laughs> gonna put a um trigger warning out there this does involve sexual assault and small children not necessarily in the same sentence but same yeah. story we're also staying overseas for this one mm -hmm. we are going to austria i like going on our overseas adventures <laughs> if only they were actual overseas adventures squirrel you know how i told you that the uh groundhog died yeah. Then yesterday at one o'clock. Okay. And that makes me sad. He's bound to die eventually. Well, yeah, but still. Did you really just write down the time I said that so you could edit it out? No. <laughs> I write down what time the stupid thingy goes off so I don't have to look for it. Oh, here you go. All right. So, have you ever heard of Joseph Fritzl? No. So, he was born April 9th of 1935 in Amstetten, I think, Lower Austria, okay. to Joseph Sr. and his wife, Maria. Who's me? Yay. <laughs> he grew up as an only child raised solely by his working mother. Joseph Sr. had loved the family when Joseph Jr. was four and never had contact again because he died in World War II. Oh. And was killed in 1944. His name appears on a memorial plaque in Amstead. In 1956, Joseph Jr. We're just going to call him Joseph from now on because Joseph Sr. doesn't come back to the picture. Um, Joseph married his wife, Rosemary. Mm -hmm. The couple would go on to have three sons and four daughters. But we are going to focus. And I thought I had 
writer. <laughs> we are going to be focusing on Elizabeth, who was born April 6th of 1966. After completing his education at Technical College with a qualification in electrical engineering, Joseph got a job at Ostalpen, I think, sure. in Linz, as a steel manufacturer. From 1969 until 1971, he worked in a construction material firm in Amstetten. He went on to become a technical equipment salesman and traveled throughout Austria. Mm -hmm. He retired at 80 in 1955. In 1972, Joseph and Rosemary purchased a guest house and neighboring campsite at Lake Monsi, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, the couple ran the guest house together as like a bed and breakfast kind of thing until 1996. So Joseph has a little bit of criminal history. Yeah. Yeah. In 1967, he broke into a home in Linz of a 24-year-old nurse while her husband was gone and raped her while holding a knife to her throat. Oh. He was also a suspect in a case of attempted rape of a 21-year-old woman. He was arrested and served 12 months of an 18-month sentence. Yeah, no. 18 months. Not long enough. He was known for indecent exposure. Shocker. His criminal record was expunged after 15 years as was. Oh, his record can get expunged, but, you know. It's a little salty about it. It's um, Austrian law that it's expunged after 15 years. As a result of this, more than... that was the case here. I know. It wouldn't be an issue. More than 25 years later, when he applied to adopt his daughter's children, the local social service authorities did not discover his criminal history. Oh. So, back to Elizabeth. Yes. At age 15, she finished her education and began courses to become a waitress. Okay. In January of 1983, she ran away from home and went into hiding, keyword, mm -hmm. in Vienna with a friend from work. Okay. She was found by police and returned to her parents. This is where we get fucky. Okay. August 28th of 1984, mm -hmm. after Elizabeth turned 18, Joseph lured her into the basement of their house saying that he needed help carrying a door. This is the door that would seal the room that Elizabeth would be held in for 24 years. She held the door in place while Joseph placed it in the frame. After it was fitted, Joseph held an ether-soaked rag on his daughter's face until she was unconscious and threw her into the room. Elizabeth, after she went missing, quote-unquote, her mother, Rosemary, filed a missing person report with the local authorities. A month later, Joseph gave a letter to the police, which he had forced Elizabeth to write while she was in captivity. The letter was postmarked from Braunau, I think, and stated that Elizabeth was tired of living with her family and that she was staying with a friend. She warned her parents not to look for her or she would leave the country. Joseph told police that Elizabeth had likely gone to join a religious cult. For the next 24 years, Joseph visited his daughter in the hidden room almost every day and brought her food and supplies. After his arrest, he would admit that he would repeatedly rape her. She gave birth to seven children during her captivity. One died shortly after birth. Three of them 
Monica, Lisa, and Alexander were taken from the room as infants to live with Joseph and Rosemary, who had been approved by social services to be their foster parents. Social services said that Joseph explained very well how these three infant grandchildren of his grandchildren appeared on his doorstep. The family received regular visits from social services who never caught a whiff of anything out of the ordinary. Of course not. Shortly after the fourth child's birth, Joseph allowed the enlargement of the room from 80 square feet to 590 square feet. However, he made Elizabeth and her children dig out the soil with their bare hands for years to expand this room. Fucking piece of shit. The room was equipped with a television, radio, and VCR. Food was stored in an old refrigerator and cooked on hot plates. Elizabeth taught the children how to read and write. When Joseph was angry, he would punish them by shutting off the lights and not delivering food for days at a time. Joseph told Elizabeth and the three children who remained with her in the basement, who were Kirsten, Stefan, and Felix, that they would be gassed if they tried to escape. Of course. Investigators concluded that this was an empty threat to frighten them as there was no gas supply to the basement. Joseph said after his arrest that he told them that they would receive an electric shock and die if they tampered with the door. Yeah. Rosemary's sister, Christine, stated that Joseph would go to the basement every morning at 9 o'clock to draw plans for machines that he would later sell to firms. He would often stay there for the night and did not allow Rosemary to bring him coffee. A tenant who rented a a ground floor room in the house for 12 years claimed to hear noises coming from the basement and Joseph would dismiss this as faulty pipes or the gas heating system. 24 years Fuck you. and seven children by your father. Yeah. The fuck. Two of them were twins and he separated the twins. That is ridiculous. So, April 19th of 2008, Kirsten went unconscious, and Joseph agreed to take her to the doctor. Elizabeth helped him carry her out of the really outside world for the first time in 24 years. Joseph forced her to return to the basement, where she remained for one more week. Kirsten was taken by ambulance to a local hospital and was admitted in serious condition with a life-threatening kidney failure. Joseph later arrived at the hospital claiming to have found a note written by Kirsten's mother. He discussed Kirsten's condition and the note with a doctor named Albert Ryder. Staff at the hospital found Joseph's story strange and called the local police on April 21st. The police then had local news broadcast a public note the missing mother to come forward and provide additional information about Kirsten's medical history. Because of this, the missing person file on Elizabeth was reopened. Joseph repeated his story about her being in a religious cult and presented them with what he claimed was the most recent letter from her January, <laughs> dated January 2008 with a postmark from Kamatan. The, <clears throat> the police contacted Manfred Wolfhart, I think, a church officer and an expert on cults. He did not believe Joseph about the cult and that he had 
that he had described to police, and he also noted that Elizabeth's letters seemed dictated and oddly written. Because they were. Yeah. Elizabeth pled with Joseph to take her to the hospital to be with Carson. On April 26th, Joseph released her sons from the room and brought them upstairs. He took Elizabeth to the hospital. Dr. Ryder called the police and informed them that Joseph and Elizabeth were both at the hospital. Both were detained and taken to the station for questioning. Elizabeth refused to answer any questions until the officers guaranteed her that she would never have to see her father again. I mean, I don't blame her. At all. At all. Over the next few hours, she told the story of her 24 years in captivity. She told them how Joseph had raped her and forced her to watch porn, which she then, which he then made her reenact in front of her children to humiliate her. What the fuck? Yeah. Joseph was arrested on April 26th at age 73 on suspicion of serious crimes against family members. On April 27th, Elizabeth, her children, and Rosemary were taken into the care of social services. She told the investigators how to get into the basement through a small hidden door that could be opened by a keyless entry code. According to Rosemary, she had no idea what had happened to her daughter. Hmm. I don't believe that. I don't either. There is no way how, you didn't know. How are you? How, like, how did he get the kids? How? how did he get the kids? Did they just magically appear right. at his doorstep? What were you what were you doing where you weren't there with him when the kids were dropped off? Right. And all you really did was bring them up from the basement. Yeah. He's <sighs> an accessory. Oh, it gets worse, trust me. On April 29th, it was announced that DNA evidence confirmed that Joseph was the biological father of all of his daughter's children. Joseph's defense lawyer, Rudolph Mayer, stated that although the DNA test proved incest, evidence was still needed for the allegations of rape and enslavement. In a press conference held on May 1st, Austrian police said that Joseph had forced Elizabeth to write a letter of the previous year that indicated that he may have been planning to release her and the children. The letter said that she wanted to come home, but it's not possible yet. Police believe Joseph was planning to pretend to have rescued his daughter from her fictitious cult. Mm -hmm. And the police spokesman, Franz Holzer said police planned to interview at least 100 people who had lived as tenants in the Fritzl apartment building in the previous 24 years. So wait, they were in an apartment building? They rented out the guest houses like a bed and breakfast kind of thing. Oh, okay. So a little about the room. This, I guess, apartment building was built in 1890. A newer building was added after 1978 when Joseph applied for a building permit for an extension with the basement. In 1983, building inspectors visited the site and verified that the new extension had been built according to the dimensions specified on the permit. However, Joseph continued to enlarge the room by digging more space for a much larger basement. Around 1981, according to Joseph's statement, he started the work to turn the basement into a prison cell. He installed a wash basin, toilet, bed, hot plate, and refrigerator. In 1983, more space was added by creating a passageway to a pre-existing basement area under the old part of the property, which only he knew about. The basement had a 16-foot-long hallway, a storage area, and three small open cells that were connected by narrow passageways. Right. 
following these passageways was a basic cooking area and like a bathroom and two sleeping areas with two yeah. beds each. <laughs> the room had two access points. Okay. Okay. That door. Uh-huh. That weighed 1,100 pounds. Oh, Jesus Christ. Which is thought to have become unusable over the years due to its weight. I would believe that. Okay, but hold on. If it weighed that much, how did him and her raise it by themselves? Exactly. The door was located behind a shelf in Joseph's basement workshop and protected by an electronic code entered using a remote control unit. In total, eight locked doors needed to be unlocked to reach the area where Elizabeth and her children were being held. How did she not know? She knew. And that secondary entryway was that little hidden door that he told them about. Right. So, small little recap. Joseph began sexually abusing Elizabeth at age 11 in 1977. Joseph had a history of um, keeping people in captivity. In 1980, his mother died in the attic after more than 20 years in captivity. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, So Elizabeth's first, first pregnancy ended in miscarriage in 1986. Um, Kirsten is born in 1988. Stefan is born in 1990. Lisa is born in 1992. In May of 1993, at nine months old, she is discovered outside the family home in a cardboard box, allegedly left there by Elizabeth with a note asking for the child after. In 1993, after repeated requests by Elizabeth, Joseph allows for the enlargement of the basement, making Elizabeth and her children do it themselves, essentially. Right. In 1994, Monica is born. In late 1994, um, Monica is found in a chair outside the entrance to the house. Shortly afterwards, Rosemary receives a phone call asking for her to take care of the child. She says it sounded like Elizabeth, but it is assumed that Joseph recorded her voice to use for the phone call. Rosemary reported the incident to police, expressing her astonishment that Elizabeth knew their new unlisted phone number. In 1986, Elizabeth gave birth to twin boys. Sorry, these are the twins. I thought one of them went upstairs. One dies after less than three days, and Joseph removes and cremates The surviving twin, Alexander, is taken upstairs at 15 months old and discovered in circumstances like his two sisters. In 2002, Felix is born. According to Joseph, he kept Felix in the cellar cellar with Elizabeth and her two oldest children because Rosemary could not look after another child. Poor her. Poor, poor her. Uh Uh-huh. So there's not a whole lot for the investigation. It's kind of straightforward. Um, In accordance with the agreement that Elizabeth would never have to see her father again, she gave taped testimony before Austrian prosecutors on July 11th of 2008. November 13th of 2008, authorities released an indictment against Joseph. He was also charged with rape, incest, kidnapping, false imprisonment, 
and slavery, which carry a maximum of a 20-year term. On to the trial. The trial began March 16th of 2009. On day one, he entered the courtroom attempting to hide his face from cameras behind a folder. There's no hiding that. No. Everybody knows why you're there, friend. You're just a piece of shit. After opening comments, all journalists and spectators were asked to leave the room, and Joseph lowered his folder, because, you know, that was helping. Joseph pled guilty to all charges except for murder and grievous assault by threatening to gas the captives if they disobeyed him. In his opening remarks, Rudolph Mayer, who was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Representing. There you go. Joseph. I was going to say, the red-nosed reindeer. <laughs> <laughs> Mayer appealed to the jury to be objective and not be swayed by their emotions. He insisted that Joe was not a monster, stating that he had brought a Christmas tree down to the basement during the holidays. Oh, yeah, because that makes Oh, you bought a Christmas tree. Ugh. So, Christian Burkheiser. This was her first case that she was prosecuting since she was appointed chief prosecutor. Pressed for life imprisonment in an institution for the criminally insane. She demonstrated for jurors the low height of the ceiling in the basement by making a mark on the door to the courtroom at 5 feet 8 inches and described the cellar as damp and moldy and passed around a box of musty objects taken from the basement. I hate that word. Musty? Yeah. (laughs) Gee, it's kind of like oozing. (laughs) (laughs) Or moist. On the first day of testimony, jurors watched 11 hours of testimony recorded by Elizabeth in sessions with police and psychologists of 2008. The tape is said to have been so harrowing that eight of the jurors did not watch more than two hours at a time. Four replacement jurors were on standby to replace any of the regular jurors in case they could not bear to hear any more of the evidence. Besides the video testimony, Elizabeth's older brother, Harold, testified that he was physically abused by Joseph as a child. Both Rosemary and Elizabeth's children refused to testify. Wonder why. March 18th of 2009, Elizabeth actually attended the second day of the criminal trial against her father. Mayer confirmed that she had been in the gallery in disguise at the time of her testimony, when the video was played. Yeah. Quote, Joseph recognized that Elizabeth was in court, and from this point on, you could see him going pale, and he broke down. It was a meeting of the eyes that changed his mind. Of course it was. Why what changed your mind? Right. I'm very curious. Why is that what changed your mind? Well, there's that. The next day, Joseph began the proceedings by approaching the judge and changing his pleas to guilty on all charges. And March 19th of 2009, Joseph was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole for 15 years. He shouldn't have gotten any parole, but that's just me. He said that he had accepted the sentence and would not appeal. And Joseph is currently serving out his sentence in Garston, I think. Garston Abbey. Mm. So, after the trial. Mm-hmm. Judge Humer who presided over the trial, stated medical experts reported that Elizabeth and her children were in relatively good health. After being taken into care, Elizabeth, all six of her children, and her mother were housed at a local clinic where they were shielded from the outside environment and received medical and psychological treatment. 
Okay. We're all offered new identities, but it was emphasized that that was strictly their decision. They were not right. forced into it. Um, Berthold Keplinger was the head of the clinic and said that Elizabeth and the three children that were kept in the basement needed further therapy to help them adjust to the light after three years in semi-darkness. I mean, yeah. Yeah. They also needed therapy to help them cope with all of the extra space that they had. You know, not the 590 square feet that they had been stuck with. In May of 2008, Elizabeth and her children created a poster that was hung in town to thank the people for their support. Written on it, said, We, the whole family, would like to take the opportunity to thank you for the sympathy at our fate. Your compassion is helping us greatly to overcome these difficult times, and it shows us that there are also good and honest people who really care for us. We hope that soon there will be a time where we can find our way back into a normal life. Hmm. So that was nice. Um, Kirsten was reunited with the family on June 8th of 2008. Okay. And it was found that the conditions in the basement were worse than previously thought. During captivity, Kirsten tore her hair out in clumps and was reported to have shredded her dresses before stuffing them in the toilet. Stefan could not walk properly because of his height, which matched the height of the ceiling. Dimming the lights or closing doors would send Kirsten and Stefan into anxiety and panic attacks. Mm. The three children that were taken upstairs were being treated for anger and resentment issues after the events. In July 2008, Elizabeth made her mother leave the villa they were staying at that was set up by that clinic that had taken them in. She was upset about her mother's passiveness during her upbringing upbringing. I, I mean... I don't blame her. I don't blame her. In any way, shape, or form. <laughs> you mean to tell me for 24 years you did not know that your daughter was locked in the basement and that right. your husband was raping her and having children with her? Yeah. I there, don't believe that at no all. There's no way. Like, you can't soundproof Somebody was hearing them in the next fucking room. Right. There's no way. There's literally just no way. After the trial... Elizabeth and her children were moved to an unnamed village in northern Austria where they were living in a fortress-like house. That's what it was described as. There have been a lot of issues getting the upstairs kids to get along with Elizabeth and the downstairs kids, if that makes sense. Yeah. But they were beginning to recognize Elizabeth as their mother, finally. Despite their strained relationship, Elizabeth and her mother started visiting each other more. Elizabeth has reportedly forgiven her mother for believing Joseph's story all those years. All of them require ongoing therapy, obviously. June 28th of 2013, workers began filling in the basement of the Fretzel home with concrete. The neighbors wanted the home demolished due to the events. However, it was sold in December 2016 to be turned into apartments. Which I think is shitty as fuck. Let's take your major trauma and convert it into money for Mm -hmm. the town. In May 2017, Joseph changed his name to Joseph Merhoff due to getting into prison fights where several of his teeth were knocked out. Poor baby. He shows no remorse for his crimes. Do not be a garbage human. 
and go after kids. Right. And you won't get your teeth knocked out. You know, especially your own. You sick fuck. He said to a reporter at one point, just look into the cellars of other people. You might find other families and girls down there. No. No. I mean, if possible, but... Uh, yes, but <laughs> most people, most, are relatively normal. <laughs> In April 2019, it was reported that Joseph's health was declining and that he did not want to live anymore. Shut Darn. So sad. I feel no sympathy. I'm so upset. Nope. What a piece of human garbage. Literally. You are literally a piece of garbage. Well, that is the story of Joseph Fritzel and his shitty self. You're pondering. What are you pondering? Like, I don't... I don't understand what goes through these people's minds. I don't think anybody does. I don't want to. Because, you know. Like, creepy people. But I try to, like, figure out the logic behind everything. That's not I something you want to do with these. Point. Especially with this creepo. Like, that's your own fucking kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you fabricate this story that you dupe your wife into fucking believing. I'm not convinced that she didn't know. But yeah, she wants to remain innocent and all that. I'm not convinced she didn't know. There's oh. heavy fucking air quotes. You just can't tell because I'm shoving my face full of food at this point. <laughs> um, like, I don't buy that she believed it. She had to have known. And for that, she should rot in hell too. I agree. I don't care how much therapy you go through. That shit's just... No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Like I'm shaking. <laughs> I'm so mad. <laughs> Calm down. You're fine. I think it's more that I just can't, like... I can't wrap my head around the fact that... I know. She's getting away with it. Because she never knew. Mm-hmm. Never know. I call bullshit. Yeah, I agree. Well, find us on Facebook. At 10 0 True Crime and Paranormal Stories from Behind the Headset. Our Instagram and Twitter are 10 0 Podcast. Instagram is spelled out. Twitter is not. And we now have a Tiki Taki. Yes. <laughs> we, we haven't made a video yet, but we will get there. Um, one day. We are trying to figure out the best place to film one. Seeing as we... It's kind of frowned upon at work. Yeah. However, it will be uh, mainly dispatcher content. Because we, if you have been on Facebook at all, you have seen... Facebook? Or... Dear Lord, I quit. I quit. If you have been on TikTok at all, you probably have seen the restaurant server purge. Customer service purge. Um, The salon purge videos. We want to do dispatcher purge day. 
I'm so excited. I'm excited, but at the same time, I'm kind of not. <laughs> Why? Because nobody knows what we look like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm actually going to have to wear makeup, and I don't want to. <laughs> you don't have to wear makeup. I am one of those people that, like, does not get dolled up just to go to work. I'm like, eh, this is how you get me. <laughs> my leggings are currently tucked in my socks, and I'm wearing an oversized hoodie. Okay. <laughs> my leggings are, like, five-year-old maternity leggings. Well, you're also pregnant, and so. I'm wearing fuzzy socks that you can't see. Yeah. And I might walk around barefoot, so. It's fine. It's, it's fine. Well, I'm wearing socks, not literally barefoot. That's gross. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, we do have a Patreon. If you are feeling generous, there are four different levels of goodies yes. for you. Um, if you're feeling generous but don't want to do a Patreon, you can leave us a review on whatever... Um, why can I not find words? <laughs> Whatever app you listen to us on. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know words. <laughs> it's fine. Are we Fuck. sure that you're not the one that's exhausted because you're growing a tiny human? Oh, I wish I was growing a tiny human. Me too. But here we are. We could be pregnant together. Um, um, if we reach 250 followers on Facebook, 250 followers on Instagram for a total of 500 followers. We will be doing a personalized Tumblr giveaway. Um, it will be our logo on a 20 ounce or 30 ounce, I haven't decided yet, metal Tumblr. And it will have your name on it. Or whatever you want it to say. Or whatever you want it to say. Like... <laughs> I don't know. There was one I saw the other day. And it was a sublimation wrap. And it had, like, crime scene tape. Mm -hmm. And then it had blood dripping from the top. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, that would be perfect. And put someone's name on it and then our logo on the other side. Mm -hmm. Freaking perfect. There you go. So. If we get 250 on all of our platforms. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for a total of 750. We'll be doing a hoodie giveaway that is bleach tie-dyed with our big logo on it. There are only two in existence. They are freaking awesome. And I even told my mom she couldn't have one. Yeah, so feel special. Like, <laughs> I told her I would make her a hoodie. But it wasn't going to be like the logo, and it wasn't. Yeah. Like it, it would say 10 0 podcast on it. And I'm thinking about doing like, don't be a garbage human up the sleeve. Oh. I kind of want to make us ones that are white that have like blood spray yeah. everywhere, and then put our logo on it again. Mm. If I can figure out how to do the blood spray right. I told you, acrylic paint and water. I tried it, it didn't go well. <sighs> Then you're diluting it too much. Well, I'm also dumb, so there's that. No, you're not. You're just <laughs> not. Patient? Uh, yeah. There you go. <clears throat> Anyways. Anyways. What, dear? Sorry. Marcus is texting me when he should be sleeping. Well, on that. 
<laughs> Stay safe. <laughs> and try not to become the next Tim Zero. <laughs>